0: Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark
1: Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, we saw that the Whisper model, Beach to Text, is coming to a live book near you soon. This is actually really cool. I went to the OpenAI page for the model, and it has some examples of some voice actors or some some recordings that it's transcribing, and it's insanely good. It's shockingly good. Some of them, like, I can barely even understand what's being said. Strong accents, like, bad recording, and it's just acing it. So this should be really cool.
0: I got to say, of all the Bumblebee accessible models and things that we could do with NX and Axon and Elixir, like, this one is the most interesting and exciting for me. Mainly just because it's it's personally applicable. Being in the podcast space, I've looked around at all these different services that will do speech to text. So you can do like transcriptions and having like a, a complete copy of the whole conversation. They're quite expensive as a service, but what they do is valuable. So like the ability for me to do that locally It doesn't have to be the fastest. I don't have to have a GPU where it's like super optimized. Like it's just me, right? Just with my single recording, I'm not like batching huge amounts of stuff. But what I think is so cool is like, it just feels empowering. Like Elixir is making this easy, which is like super pro level stuff. That is what is uh, so exciting for me. And next up, we got to follow this up with Livebook because Livebook 0.8.1 was released. And there's a blog post to accompany this. So we just want to cover a few of the items from the list of things. One, there's a new file input. So this makes it really easy if you want to be uploading like a CSV file with all of your billing events, and you want to start analyzing it. So it makes it really easy to just populate your set of data before you start working on it in a live book. Another one is a new audio input, which lets you upload an audio file or even access the computer's microphone to do a recording right there in the live book. You know, you totally see this is part of what they're doing with that whisper model thing, right? Like getting access to audio. Next is support for capturing images in the camera, using your browser camera to just pull in images right there. Because we've been doing image classification, but what if it could do getting live snapshots and then you're working on image classification or identifying people and faces and things like that. And another one was Docker images. So pre-built Docker images with CUDA libraries already built in. So that makes it really easy. If you want to run a live book instance on a machine that has GPU hardware. So it just puts it all and preps all the libraries needed, everything, all the dependencies are worked out. So you can access that NVIDIA CUDA hardware which is going to be nice in the the GPU accelerated space. So all that together, the Whisper model with Livebook, a lot of great improvements that really just feels like it's lowering the bar for working with images, files, and audio in Livebook. And with the Whisper model, oh, I'm just, I'm stoked.
2: All right, moving on from ML and Livebook stuff, back into normal ecto-query kind of things. Things, you know, you probably do a lot and probably have to debug a lot. Uh, Alex Kubos published a new library to make it easier to debug those complex Ecto queries. So this is called ecto_dbg and it builds upon others work to incorporate a SQL formatter. It's using a pg formatter I think and it lets you pretty print large SQL queries which you can easily copy and paste. And I haven't gotten to use it yet but just according to the screenshot here One of the things that I tend to have to like scan for and look at this big wall of text for a while (laughs) is the variables that you have in your queries, right? If you have variables in there, sometimes it'll log as like a question mark inside of your query, and then you have to go to the end of the log to go find what those those actual variables are, which can make a huge difference when you're trying to like debug a particularly slow query. And so this one looks like it uses PG Formatter and will first of all, make it look good, so it's readable and formatted, but then also, and I'm not sure if there's a PG formatter or maybe ecto-debug, but it also puts those variables in there, in, in where you would normally expect them to be in the SQL query. Anyway, pretty cool. Loving it so far. Essentially, the API here is, you know, on, on your repo.all, right? There's a lot of functions that are kind of like repo.all, repo. you know, one or whatever, but there's another version of that that's like Log and run, you know, uh, something like that. So that's that's how you're expected to use that. Anyway, looks cool.
0: And next up, Andrea Leopardi released his next Proto Hackers video. It's exploring the Proto Hackers networking problems in Elixir, and this is day five, and it's called Mob in the Middle. And day six, Speed Demon or Daemon, you know, for like, like a service. So I reached out to Andrea and asked him, okay, so we've been covering what you were doing. It's really cool stuff. Which came first, this idea of doing the proto-hackers and playing with this, or the idea of of the Elixir book on network programming? Like, which one came first? And he said, yes, working on the proto-hackers challenges led to the book. That makes a lot of sense, but sounds like there's still a lot more to the story there. So I wonder if that's like video-driven book development or something, you know, maybe you
1: call it like that. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, inspiration comes in many forms. Next up, Brian Cardarella shared a LiveView Native tease. He showed that LiveView Native was running inside of an Apple Watch emulator. So this is a really cool development and proof of concept and shows that they're making pretty good progress there. We're excited to see what comes next. All right, next up, uh, Elixir Forum wrote a tribute to 10 years of Elixir and thanked their active members
2: on the forum for all their contributions. Good perspective, right? We on the podcast had Jose on several times to talk about the history of Elixir. But a huge part of Elixir is the community, and a lot of the community exists, you know, in written form on elixirforum.com. So it's great for them to, you know, reflect on what 10 years look like for them. And so there's a couple of announcements in this post as well. So we'll have a link to that post. But one of the things that's happening or trialing on Elixir Forum is a new chat room. Mm, Could be cool. So here's a quote. We're finding that sometimes it would be useful to have an ephemeral area on the forum for those occasions where you're just thinking out loud or need a faster paced medium to discuss certain topics. So we'll be trialing a chat room. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. Interesting. I know that there's a lot of other Elixir spaces in other places like Slack and Discord, those two I'm aware. But now there's also Elixir Forum. I think all around, you know, Elixir Forum is a safe place to be and very helpful place to be because of all the work that the moderators do to keep that, that community friendly and well organized and well supported. So 10 years of that kind of work is oftentimes thankless. And so now, now, 10 years later here, I'm going to thank you for, for all of that work uh, of just being a good place and remembering to be a good place. The only thing that's going in my head right now is, is cheers. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's, that's an old Where show. The people all know your name. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Elixir Forum is a great place, and I'm happy to have been part of that for the greater part of 10 years as well. So congratulations,
1: Elixir Forum. So we noticed a new website, beammachine.cloud, is now live. It's from Digit, one of the co-creators of Burrito. He's now hosting pre-compiled binaries of ERTS with compilation of different CPU architectures and C runtimes. And so basically what this means is now, if you're using Burrito to build things, basically it's going to be faster because you can download a lot of these pre-compiled binaries a lot faster than uh, you can build them for every architecture.
2: I thought it was interesting that Risk v was in there, which I know is, is somewhat up and coming. So yeah, that's that's kind of cool. You got your Mac OS, you got your Linux, you got your ARMS, your typical x86, but then now also Risk Five in there. <laughs> that's going to be cool.
0: And last, I just wanted to share a blog post that I published. It's about tagging. So if you've ever built a system where you're like having to tag stuff, like I have database entries and I want to have them tagged. So like normally the way we all do it by default is we have many to many relationships where we have a list of, if I'm tracking books and I want to have genres attached to those books, then I'll have a book genres table with the list of all the tags and then a join table that brings it all together. And then if I want to tag something else, then I have another set of join tables and another tag table. It's just a lot of work, but that's kind of what we do by default because most of the time that's what we want. We want the ability for people to, edit like users to edit what tags are available. But then there's plenty of situations where you don't let people edit what's attached to it. So if I'm doing a list of workout exercises and I'm tagging it with these are the muscle groups that are focused on in this exercise, you don't let people just create new muscle groups and have custom stuff like that, right? It's it's defined by the system. Same with genres for books. Like It is a set of genres that is defined. We're not going to let a user create a genre called stupid, right? It's like, you just don't do that, right? So there are certain situations where we don't want it to be user editable. And that's what this blog post is exploring, because that's what the situation I found myself in. And honestly, this is taking advantage of a really cool feature in Postgres, which is array columns. Then also using a Postgres GIN index for really fast lookups. And Ecto has built-in support for a field type that is array of string. So using all that together, you can have tagging on elements that has no other join tables. And it's fast lookups. I found this super helpful, especially when you are having multiple types of tags on the same models. It's just really easy. So hopefully it can be helpful for someone else out there too.
1: Yeah, and that that G-I-N index is actually a really cool index if you're ever needing to not go as far as Elasticsearch, but you want to be searching and not have it bogging down your database. You know, the G-I-N index is probably for you. You can do like a simple search my database for tags, for example, or users by their username, and it'll still be really responsive and fast using that G-I-N index. And that's it for the news.
0: Elixir and Phoenix are incredible. They make it possible to quickly build highly resilient and reliable systems capable of operating at incredible scale. Fly.io is a great place to host Elixir apps. You can deploy your app to multiple regions around the world with a private network linking them all together so your app can cluster and globally do some incredible Phoenix magic. Give your users a more responsive UI while writing less code and moving the app closer to your users without needing an ops team. Check out fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today, we just wanted to check in with each other and see how things are going if we've been playing with the new Phoenix 1.7 release candidates because the release candidates have a lot of really cool and exciting stuff that we've been covering here in the news. I've been playing with the new release, just trying things out and migrating to it and wanted to maybe share notes and what has been helpful and How is that process going for you guys? So first, have either of you tried out the new Phoenix 1.7? You know,
1: I haven't. That's how it's been going for me. Thanks for asking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a totally valid point of view. And why is it you guys are not doing that right now?
1: Well, personally, for me, usually the RCs are quick. Usually it's like RC1, RC2. Okay, it's released. And so I just assumed the RCs would be out real quick. And we'd have a an actual release and and then I would do it, and it just keeps going and going and going, <laughs> and there's still we're still in r c one or two we're in r c two now right, and so that's why I haven't done it because I just thought we would we would have a stable release by now. It seems pretty stable though how like I've been hearing a lot of people moving over and like having good experiences with it, so I don't know are we what are we what are we waiting for? I
2: have upgraded personally, but we I think professionally, yeah, we, we're we're waiting for the non-RC to land. Yeah, on my personal projects though, it's it's been I mean there's there's two sides of it, right? It's been easy, but I chose the hard route. <laughs> 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 Which you know I I do in life very often too, even outside of <laughs> of programming. But like gosh darn it, I'm gonna do it the right way. I'm gonna go all all in. I'm not gonna have any warnings, I'm gonna do all of the features, right? But let's say if I didn't do any of that, it was easy to get to the point of just getting it to work after you know the mixed depths update Phoenix and all, all the Phoenix libraries that depend on each other. That part was easy and that and that worked and I could have stopped there. But yeah, I chose to do the, the rest of
0: it, <laughs> all the other optional things. I think really that that's kind of the choice that we have. And I was very impressed that I could just update my libraries and it worked. My project worked. There might be some more deprecation warnings or something like that, but I could deploy, right? I could take exactly what I had, be up on the latest Phoenix 1.7 and latest live view and just deploy. Like I don't have to change all my routes. I don't have to use any of the the new verified routes or anything like that. And that was impressive,
1: honestly, that I could do that. Yeah. They did a good job there. Like they have these cool features that would be considered massively breaking changes, but that they're completely backwards compatible and you don't need to move over to them if you don't want to. And I I know I think I saw like on Hacker News some people complaining that this was like in no way backwards compatible, but maybe what they didn't realize was it was it actually is completely backwards compatible. And you know like the newly generated apps will come pre configured to not use the new or the old route helpers, but you didn't generate your app that you're upgrading. So you won't have those configurations newly added, right? And so you will continue. So the default is to allow these deprecated features to work, which is, which is cool and hard work, right? That's hard work to make new features and support old stuff and not break anything all in the middle of that.
2: So there, there were two deprecations that I did fix right away, which was one of them was the in-your-web-file you have your layouts and you usually have to put in like live.html or app.html, whichever one you're using. And they changed the style of that to now be atoms. So now, you know, you got a deprecation warning when you like start up your app or compile, I forget which one, but it definitely told you like, Hey, we don't do this anymore. You need to do this other thing. I mean, it still worked, right? I could have ignored that and been just fine. But Bothers me, kills me to see that that (laughs) that 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 warning. And it's such a small change. It's like I don't have this peppered throughout my whole app. I'm just going to change that. Like right now, it's like literally like one place. That was one deprecation, and then the other one was the uh, flash. How you handle your flash messages on the uh, HTML side. That was a little bit more work to get done because you have a choice here. You could just simply take all like. You're, you're, if you have a Live View app with dead views too, that means you have kind of like three layouts. You've got your root, you got your Live View layout, and then your dead view layout, and they're really similar. And the only difference in all of my personal apps is how you handle that stinking flash message. <laughs> and so the change is that they've consolidated that into that that flash module. So now it's consistent between both rendering methods on how you get that, which I love, love, loving it, right? But there was a there was a warning there too, I think, if I if I remember correctly, the the correct way to get that nowadays. And so I I made I made that change. And so you could just keep your layouts, you know, your app.html and your live live.html and keep them separate. But now that I'm calling like the same function here in both of them, I'm like these layouts are like the same. I tried to get them to, to be the same. So now I have the choice. Do I like start getting into you know consolidating my layouts? I did, but like, that's, that's a choice you have to make. If they're similar enough, you almost can just literally delete one and be on your merry way,
1: right? (laughs) Yeah. So along those lines, they made it so you can actually get rid of those three layouts, right? And just have one. Is that, is that something I remember being in one seven? I think it's two layouts. So you have like the root one and an app layout as well. Okay. And you, but you don't, but you, you can get away from like the dead layout and the live layout. Yeah. That was also
2: confusing too. Cause I've been, you know, what a year on this app .html versus live HTML and realizing that live HTML is like basically my, my real one. <laughs> I forget about my dead view one more often, but now upgrading here, it's like they, they flip-flopped it back to like app .html is now the default one that you want from, from the generated stuff, I think. And so they're getting away from the live.html one. So that was a little confusing to get her to like understand the diff in my head, but that that's, it wasn't a big deal, right? That that was just comparing my existing project to like what, what a new project would, would generate today.
0: One of the reasons for upgrading is to have access to these new features and what some of them were. And if you had a chance to look at those. So for myself, one of the things I really wanted with this moving to this newer like live view version and everything was I wanted the new live view authentication pages, which come through to generator, right? I'd already done my dead view generated authentication pages. So I had those, but I really wanted the live view ones. Cause like in my project, the only dead views that I have are those login pages. And so that was part of my, you know, having to do some of the things differently there. And I wanted, like, I just want to live view everything. And so that was one of the things I did. So that was unnecessary, but it was one of the things I I was looking for and wanting to do. So that's, you know, migrating my existing login and authentication everything to the newer way of doing it. So that's when I got to actually play with and check out how a new Phoenix 1.7 app does it by default. So if you just generate a new Phoenix 1.7 app, you'll see the new Tailwind styles, which is a different way of doing modals and inputs and all of these other things that are coming. Like there's a whole new thing called core underscore components, which is where the modals are, but there's a new function components for doing things that's generated into your app, right? So it is intended to be customized. And once you start playing with that, you're like, well, dang, I want some of that goodness too. The temptation was pulling me and saying, migrate more,
1: migrate more. You're only a thousand lines changed. What's another thousand? <laughs> yeah, I can see that. There's definitely a lot of a lot of things that were done prior to one seven that are a little bit different. I mean, I myself also have the temptation. It's like I just want to be up to date. I want everything to be standard. so if you're generating new apps, they're all the same. You don't have to worry, well, this one's one five, this one's one six, and this one's one seven. It's like I just want them to all be have the same denominator. they're all using the same core components. they're all using the same updated live view auth or or auth generator code and i don't like my code to be old like well this is the old way and we're too lazy to change it
2: yeah that that core components that was where like okay i'm i'm totally going to touch every single file in here every single view <laughs> <I know. laughs> every everything is going to be potentially broken at this point <laughs>
0: I should explain briefly like what it is I end up deciding to do. So I got it. So I did the upgrade. Things worked. Did the the few minor application config kind of changes that were recommended. Previously, I'd written a blog post. Uh, I have a link in the show notes. It was called Flying with a Fledgling Phoenix, which is trying out a new release and a couple different ways to do that. And one of them is using your tool, David, to do comparisons of when I generate Phoenix 1.7 versus a one six four and do the differences in the browser. And I was checking them out that way. And I was also doing it locally and running to see what does it actually look like and feel like for this, the new Tailwind styles with the Live View pages. What is that, how does that work? So that was a really fun to play with. It really went, came down to, I want all of these changes, but it's a personal project. So I have that ability to spend my time that way, right? (laughs) So, you know, when it's a work project, Maybe the team can't justify that.
2: (laughs) Got to be a little bit more pragmatic about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. But I just want to talk about some of the other changes that came in there. So with the core components, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. This is going everywhere. And so I have a a blog post. I'm going to be coming out uh, soon with like creating a custom component, a custom core component in that new style and what that looks like. Yeah, so one of the changes I want to talk about is the verified routes. Let's talk about that one real fast. Like, that was one of the big things I wanted. David, I know we talked a little bit about it and like what was that like when you first started trying to go and use these new verified routes?
2: Well, all right. So you when you think about like verified routes, you're like, "Ah oh, yeah, that's that makes sense, right? I'm going to do this from now on." It's a little weird to do sigil p and then a string after that. I'm so used to like square brackets because I'm always doing these sigils with like lists. Could you not still do that though? It's just a sigil, right? It is just a sigil, right? But you you're feeding it as a string and the and when I do my delimiters and my sigils, I try to keep it in the same like delimiter that I'm used to. So lists are always gonna be square brackets, strings are gonna be the the double quotes usually. That that kind of stuff. Just to not muddy the waters too much. Anyway, so you got the sigil P. That's a little bit weird, but you know, you the inside of it, then you write your route in there. And that's very like I, I think that way first. So that was very intuitive to me. But I've already got this app with a bunch of route helpers everywhere. And when I write the route helper, I have to kind of think backwards or like understand how Phoenix generates these path helper function names and stuff. And then, you know, to upgrade with this, the verified routes, I have to do that again, I have to think backwards again to get it out of the path helper into a verified route. (laughs) So it's like, it's just as painful as it was to, to, to write with the the path helpers as it was to get back into the verified routes. But once you're done with that, then I feel like I'm not going to have to go through that like mental gymnastics to go to write all my, my routes again. So I was like, this is a little, a little painful. And, and routes are like one of those things that's like, well, it's, it's probably in all of your controllers. It's probably in half, at least half of your views. You know, like it's, it's going to be in a lot of places, you know? So that's, that's one of those changes. It's a simple change, thankfully, but it's probably everywhere. Uh, So you you just got to go through it. (laughs) That's a tedious change.
0: Yes. But I, I totally had the same experience where I'm looking at this rendered route. Like this is when I first started doing it. It's like, I don't, I don't know what this is going to generate. Yeah. It's like to put the string version. It's like, yeah, they're trying to have to figure that out. So that was a. (laughs) Like OAuth, OAuth controller.
2: It's awful like o underscore auth underscore path or url whatever you're looking for like i don't guess that you know i had to like fail and get it and look at look it up in mix phoenix.routes or something the other adjustment was if you're passing in like query params in there so that was a little bit weird for me right because i i do enjoy like passing in just a map or keyword list of params and letting it take care of it for me the, the 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 older route helper stuff just take care of that for me but with the verified routes i feel like i have to i have to deal with that a little bit differently is that true
0: actually we've got uh, a couple resources that we're going to drop in the show notes that were helpful so like one Herman valesco has been on a, a tear i guess creating these nice little tight youtube videos like two minutes long, three minutes long, really tight. One of them covered Phoenix removing the views and kind of reparenting where the templates lived. So I watched his little two-minute video as an overview of like, what's going to happen? What do I need to do? Super nice. Going to have a link to that in the show notes. But it's like, yeah, just, okay, that's all it is. I got it. And so I did that one. He's got another one on the verified routes too. And in there he shows, yes, it feels like you're going to have to string interpolate every single query, which you can, but it also supports maps. So, yeah, so you don't have to. Yeah, you, so that was my instinct. I was like, oh man, I'm
2: gonna have to deal like U, URL, uh, URI dot in quote code q- query or something like that everywhere. Like this is gonna be awful. But you no, know, you're right. You can just put that, put a map in there, and it'll it'll just work. <laughs> Thank goodness.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's just like the the key and the value turns into like query params, and you know, it's really nice. They thought it through.
1: Yeah, I saw that. That's a good idea. It's a good good thought
0: the leaks to heeks
2: conversion wasn't too terrible but i think i did that like last upgrade so i didn't really feel that this time and the big thing there was how you interpolate like values into into attributes right mm-hmm. i'll skip my discussion on that because i I don't, I don't feel like that was like a 1.7 i felt like that was a 1.6 or 5 whenever heeks came out
0: but to the point of being backward compatible i still had old E-E-X and L-E-E-X templates that I hadn't finished migrating. You know, yes, it's a personal project. Yes, I've got a lot of dirty warnings. They're just like, yeah, I I have those. (laughs) How do you live like this? Well, maybe not warnings, but like there there are deprecation warnings, right? I haven't finished all of that. But the fact is, I can still have a project that works. I can deploy and people can use it even when it's not 100% all migrated. And that's what I mean by backward compatible. There was another like change that was
2: like like verified routes where it was just kind of like everywhere. It was a simple change, but it was everywhere. And that was like live redirecting, live patching. Now they have like these components. And I was like, I felt conflicted. Like, do I do that now? I don't I'm not really sure. They have a lot of like new components, like focus wrapping, which I I had some like stuff that I'm doing on my own, but now that's kind of built in. So like all these little decision points of like, well, junk. How much of my own code do I rip out now? Because like <laughs> this is gonna be better in in Phoenix because like I'm I'm not an expert in focus wrapping, you know? <laughs> like
0: Yes. Uh. Other people have spent a lot of time thinking about how to do this right. Uh, yeah, but like that's one of those things that I've wanted to play with. Like uh when a page loads, I want someone's focus to be put into this search box, right? So they can just jump right in, they don't have to do anything with their keyboard or mouse. So I've just like punted on that. It's like, yeah, well, it's not super important. I'll get to that later. And now the tooling is available and I want to take advantage of it. So that's one of those other things like, oh, well, I'm excited to do that. So then one thing that happened is I was partway through this whole migration of doing live view authentication and doing input components and the routes. And so my head is in both worlds, right? I'm splitting both sides. And I'm like sitting there thinking, oh my gosh. How does Chris McCord keep all of this straight? Like that's seriously. So I I was like, you you got these whole two different mental models. How is he and the team maintaining Phoenix in a way that makes sense? That's not just going to be like, oh, things are going to collapse in the future. So I asked him, how do you guys manage and track? You have breaking changes. You know, you've got people who are maybe two or three versions back. Or do you not worry about that? And focus mostly on the new release and the RCs. Maybe that's what the RCs are for, right? Getting the feedback. And you know, just like pointing out, like I still had some EEX templates that I hadn't mi- migrated over. So I asked him and he said, well, it's pretty straightforward, actually. The whole key is they don't break any public interfaces. They test all of their public interfaces. So they know if they've broken something. But because of that, they've never even broken public interfaces. And so they, they just don't change those APIs. And the times that they have, like with the new embed templates or Phoenix View going away, the tests ensured that any regressions were caught. And so for the rest of it, Chris takes a an existing one dot something app and upgrades it manually to the next version to go through the process of what's that like to catch any unforeseen problems. And then they'll have the RCs come out. It's like he's done all of that work before you hit hit an RC, so that when uh, people are going through that process it's pretty much all been caught. And what I was really happy to hear about that, it isn't an overburdening thing, right? Because my concern was, is the Phoenix team going to have difficulty maintaining this over the long-term? That at some point, it's just going to kind of all crumble. And then I realized, oh, it's actually much simpler. And a lot of it comes down to they have a small set of public APIs and the generating projects, like your generated stuff that if you're using templates to get started on things, those may change, but the public APIs that they're interacting with, those haven't. So you can have different versions of how the templates work or the generated code. But yeah, so that was like the secret little unlock for me, like, okay, I can have a lot of confidence in this over the long term that they're going to, not have these breaking changes. It's it's going to be something they can maintain. It's not going to become unwieldy.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And I guess that's, that's one of the big value adds of tests, right? Is if you're building an HTTP service or something, you can, you can test those boundaries and, and assume that, you know, changing your schemas doesn't change the public interface. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that they do that. And Hopefully that adds value for them too. You can just run your suite of tests and feel confident that you didn't break any backwards compatibility.
2: That sounds normal to me. I mean, that doesn't,
1: (laughs) I don't know if that gives me more comfort or not. It's just like, oh, you
2: have tests. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of expected. (laughs) Not everybody does it though, David. (laughs) I wouldn't be using this framework if it didn't have tests.
0: (laughs) Well, it's not just tests, but it's that they don't change the public APIs. That makes sense. In the early days of Phoenix, People kind of had the feeling like, oh, this is like rails. It's big, right? It's expansive. And, oh, I want something like Sinatra. I want to keep trimming it down, trimming it down. And then as you really dig in, you realize Phoenix really is thin, right? It is not doing a whole bunch of layers. But what it does, it's very smart about.
2: Yeah, my anticipation for trouble spots is between libraries, right? So you mentioned like Phoenix view going away and it's being replaced with like Phoenix dot template. So it's, it's nice that it's like you can just swap out those, those libraries and generally get the same kind of behavior. So there must be some shared, you know, or maybe not, I don't know. It's, I guess maybe that's mostly what your project generates with that calls those things. So maybe that's, that's how they get away from like having to manage two modules that, like do similar things but then also like when i'm in a controller action in phoenix i i do like use phoenix a lot but a lot of some of the functions i actually use in controller actions are actually directly from plug and so like if plug changed you know then then that would be some trouble so like i i don't know how they manage this I'm, i'm curious what you guys think but like how do they ensure that like these all these projects the combinations of versions that they're on like continu- continue to work. Maybe that's the troubling spot. But Phoenix itself, sure, test passed, ship it, right? But, <laughs> but like they're not testing on all the older versions of things, right? Or are they still testing like Phoenix.view from Phoenix, you know, or, or are they just testing Phoenix.view by itself and assume, you know, assume everything else is responsible for their own? and And that's reasonable too, but.
0: If I remember right, when I did the upgrade to the RC in my mix file, where I said, use this newer dependency, in order to do it, I had to unlock some of the other things. So it automatically pulled in, oh, there's a new HTML, there's a new view, like some of those other ones are getting updated at the same time, and the dependencies are keeping them in line. Right. Okay.
2: Yeah. And that and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I reckon that there's something that I do find that to be a little annoying. It's no no big deal though. It's like <laughs> you can't just upgrade Phoenix. You have to upgrade like four things. Yeah, you got to upgrade like Phoenix Ecto. You got to upgrade Phoenix View or swap it out for Template. You got to f- update Phoenix Live Dashboard. You have to update Phoenix Live View because because they do and and this this definitely shows because they do keep those versions lockstep. You know to like yeah not not be a problem. But yeah, it's it. You can't just upgrade Phoenix by itself, <laughs> 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 and I, and I suppose that's that's the point, right? Is that these these are separate libraries that have their own like extensive test suites. So once once they're good, they're good. You can trust that it's going to work in the in the you know the 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 context of the entire app, and those lock versions are just going to make sure that they're working with the expected versions.
0: Well, I have really been enjoying this new Phoenix 1.7, and right now I think the last I saw was RC1, but I've really been enjoying it, particularly because I wanted to explore some of those newer things like the core components and the verified routes. Really excited about that. I love what they're doing, and I love how well the project feels like it's working. And I love that it is it is backward compatible. Like We'll have a link to that Hacker News post that you mentioned, Cade, where Jose said, yeah, it's been backward compatible for seven and a half years. And it's like, that is, that's huge, right? That you can have a framework that you can count on for something like that. But we would love to hear about your experiences. Are, have you tried out the new Phoenix 1.7? Have you upgraded anything to it? What's that been like? And another thing, I think, David, the question we've always had, we should really do a survey at some point and find out some of these things. But are you a person who says, I can't handle having a deprecation warning. I have to clean them all up immediately. Or, or do you like, what's the, what's your approach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Am I emotionally unstable enough to
2: uh, require myself to handle deprecation warnings? <laughs> <laughs> I, I speak for myself only there. <laughs> but, yeah. I would be curious to see what the breakdown is. How, how many of you out there like have to do all of the the whole upgrade? And I know there's like two contexts, right like there's the work context like no mm-hmm. i'm gonna I'm gonna break nothing, you know, like we're not doing anything, we're doing the bare minimum, I've got tickets upon tickets lined up for other things, right, and then there's the, like the idealist, the personal project you, or it's just like I've got all the time in the world, I have no responsibilities, no kids to bother me, like I am going to do this upgrade the right way, everything, all of it, verified routes. HTML, you know, stuff over there. Heeks, all the things like core components, component everything, you know, like list item, component, done. <laughs> you know, everything. Which one are you?
0: Well, you can check the show notes for different ways to get in touch with us. You can find us on social media as well. We are on uh, the Fediverse. We are on Twitter. We are... There's lots of ways to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.
1: Oh <laughs>